Today, we consider the possibility of the image cinematic universe. What could have been? Absolutely, what could have been? What should have been? We look at all of it, all the action that Image Comics garnered from all across the media from the minute it was launched, all of those options and deal makings. Why didn't an image cinematic universe come together? What's on store? What can be done? Rome wasn't built in a day and neither was the MCU. Is there hope for an image cinematic universe? We look at all of that today. We consider, uh, continue to consider a world without image comics with more kind of uh, absolute uh, results of what hap what would have happened had image not appeared on your comic store shelves we we also consider Leonardo DiCaprio Tom Cruise Matthew McConaughey Brad Pitt Timothy Chalamet would Chalamet will they ever ever be in a comic book movie that is for you to listen and decide today on our latest episode of Observations. Hey everybody, or should I say, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for another edition of Raw Observations. Gosh, that sounds good. I should I should uh, work more prints, more music into my opening. Anyway, thanks for joining me. It's Rob. We're going to do what we always do is mix it all up in a nice cocktail of pop, t pop culture, comic books, sci-fi, all of it. Uh, we're going to jump right into it today because, uh, again... Everything we see is is so much of what we see is coming from comic books today, and 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 we know of so much of what we get, and by 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 that I mean we are aware of so many of the sources, even though probably the sources aren't getting you know picked up or sampled in in the same way that we in the comic book community would want them to. But the uh, the 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 as they're called the IP, uh, the intellectual property, and and here's where I'm going to slow it down a minute. You have no idea. It took me a long time to get used to it. It's taken me over a decade. But management agents, um, producers, they have since, I mean, literally, the, the 2010, 2011, so, so we're looking 10, 11 years. They, they, they call anything you have, IP, IP, Batman, IP, Moon Knight, IP. The Avengers, IP, intellectual property, intellectual property. They just call it the IP. What's the IP? So, 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 which which IP are we talking about? It's so weird. It's so clinical. It's so um, cold and unfeeling. And and I've just like it. It's so weird to me because to me, I just I don't refer to those things in those ways. I don't I don't call them intellectual properties. I don't ever. I had never until it was said to me thought of them as intellectual properties, the IP, the IP. Oh, well, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're dealing with so much IP. You know, they're trying to move all this IP. And I just always go, oh, I just wish they wouldn't call it that. But they do. And they being uh, all of the people who you're going to take meetings with when you want to set up your movie or get a call and take a meeting about your comic book being translated into, into, into another property uh, uh into a movie into a tv show it's 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 always about okay so so what what else do we need to know about this ip again i i'm, I'm not a big fan of it that's why i hesitate to say it and this time after i said it I, I felt like i needed to to go into a lengthy explanation to you why i don't really care for it but boba fett ip again hawkeye ip 
WandaVision IP that it's such a weird way, but it's like the town made them all into like stock listings. IP, what IP, what IP are we offering today? Anyway, it's very strange. I, I am not on board, but I, I hear it all day long. And, and, and tomorrow I'll hear it when I talk to someone else who wants to talk to me about my IP. This pivots perfectly into, again, the catalogs that are untapped. What I'm getting at is you guys know, we know, I know so much of the catalogs that have been tapped. Uh, and, 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 and so, so this, this new, this year immediately, you know, we know we're getting in, in the next 12 months, we know that on board is Moon Knight and She-Hulk and, uh, is it, is it, is it Ms. Marvel? Um, you know, we kind of know what Marvel has planned. But so much of the world doesn't know about the IP. So then the IP gets activated. And I talk to my retailers and they're like, oh man, man, Moon Knight, She-Hulk. And, and look, to somebody like me, I love knowing that my She-Hulk number ones that I bought off the stand in 1979 and bagged and boarded. Because by that time, a year later, I was introduced to bags and boards. It Bags and boards became a thing in 1980. But from 75 to 80, never even knew they existed. It wasn't until I started visiting comic book stores, having seen comic book ads in the yellow pages and finding out that there's these, you know, you know, you know, plastic bags and, and, and cardboard backings that you, uh, you put, you know, behind them. It's funny in my, uh, my collection, so much of it, I have yet to turn over last year. I was doing a lot of turnover. I was putting fresh mylars because i love that crinkly mylar they're a little little more high end but i'm like look i'm gonna live a little i'm gonna live a little i'm gonna i'm gonna put them on on avengers and Fantastic four and x-men and defenders and my favorite marvel titles so i put mylars on those but going through those and changing out not only the bag but the board i i, I was like wow yeah the cardboard backings didn't used to have the white um you know they, they weren't white they were literally you know very sl- very thin uh, sheets of of cardstock that were just sliced to that size, and that was how it was in every comic store and at the co- conventions that I was frequenting. It didn't; they didn't get to be more more of a refined product. The clean white, you know, sheen on one side, the kind of dull on the other, um, and 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 you certainly didn't buy them in in pre, uh, you know, wrapped packages of a hundred. It was my guy would count them out, count each bag out. He'd have a whole bunch of them or count each board out in singular and then ring you up at the, at the, at the, at the, uh, at the register. So it's just funny looking back at seeing the, the, the first wave of, of boards. If I went on most of my DC comics collection, I'm guilty. And I'm talking my flash comics that I bought since the seventies, all through the the nineties, 2000, whatever. Uh, basically through the nineties, that all, all that stuff is still in that, that old product. Not that they were doing that in the mid eighties, nineties that already changed over by the mid eighties, but early on for about a five year stretch, maybe earlier than that, because again, my first encounter with it is, is in 1980, but the, the bags were definitely jankier, not as sleek and nice as they are now. And the, the, the backings were, were thinner and, and less stiff and nowhere near as, as refined as they are now. So, but Moon Knight, She-Hulk, these books, it's great. Bought them for, you know, 50 cents, 35 cents. And now they're, I'm reading they're $75, $300 graded. They're, you know, X, X amount of dollars. And I was, I was talking to one of my, you know, aftermarket buddies and he's like, oh yeah, you know, 
Young Avengers, the uh, with with, with uh, you know the One Division twins and with Kate Bishop. You know that's that's like three hundred dollars raw and and graded its X amount. So I mean it's it's just weird because because now Young Avengers is close to being like a what is a 16, 17 year old comic book. And because of Kate Bishop and the twins on WandaVision and the brief appearance of the Patriot kid on uh, Winter Soldier, that stuff's shooting up. But but there's an entire other world that you guys all know because we're all avid comic collectors. And, and there was a period, obviously, in the comic book industry where the independent stuff was so much more prevalent, which is going to lead us into another segment of a world without image comics as we revisit that a little further. But we're going to back into... A World Without Image Comics by going through some... A World Without Image Comics is some carefully placed what-ifs. And you know what? I love how positive you guys were on that first uh, first installment because um, I, your feedback on it has been, has been um, I'll say it, extreme. It's, uh, it's, it's been extremely um, uh, uh, positive and um, you guys have been really vocal about how that really piqued your interest. And again, I am just taking where a group of uh, influential creators were, myself and my peers that started Image Comics, where we were prior to that. And again, I walked you through in that image, a world without Image Comics, uh, at the edge of where we were all, you know, standing. And it could have gone either way. And I'll revisit kind of as we set the table. In a little while here, as we de- as we dig deeper into the the actual ramifications of what would have happened had you know Jim Lee gotten an upgrade and become like the executive director on the X Men, which is what they were offering him to not go to Image, and I surmised in that podcast, a world you know without Image Comics, that that had DC Comics had Jim entertained an offer from DC Comics over Batman, Ma- Marvel would have met that extremely strong again they flew they being tom defalco bob harris carl potts and i I believe terry stewart those are the four people that jim told me if memory serves correctly that met with him carl potts was a very influential uh writer uh uh, editor that had shepherded jim early in his career tom defalco was the editor-in-chief terry stewart was the publisher and bob harris was the x-men editor kind of the current uh, you know, the, the guy who Jim got the big record selling X-Men sales with. So, so I believe they would have moved in again to not let him cross the street and do Batman because that was something again, that was being entertained. And I think that's what Todd would have ended up doing because, uh, image, if, if, if there is no image comics, if I, if we don't band together, if, if, if Todd's instincts continue to play out in the way that they wanted to play out. And I believe that shifted because I did Youngblood. I solicited Youngblood and it got the numbers that it got. And suddenly it attracted like there's, there's proof here. There is, there's, you know, half a million dollar early um, numbers are coming back on Youngblood, which means, holy crap, this is going to do as good, if not better than what we're doing at Marvel, at least in the interim, at least in the short term. So that's the stage that was set. And I followed through where everyone would have fallen. And we're going to investigate a little more of the fallout of what would have happened because that's fun. But this isn't necessarily a what if, this next arena that I'm going to kind of uh, uh, dive into. But the bottom line is that uh, that the this 
is going to take you down all of the image cinematic projects that didn't quite get sewn together. You got seven guys. We suddenly had our little fiefdoms, our little neighborhoods. I would, I would, I would hesitate to call them empires. Um, even now, I'm not sure they're empires. Um, there's a lot of misreporting about what each guy is worth. Look, here's the deal. If you read something that says any one of the original image founders net worth is more than Robert Kirkman, that report is uh, discredited. Um, no, Robert Kirkman, just let's use him as, as the barometer. I'll, I'll tell you, for years and years, Batman was the index for sales. They used the Batman number once he rebounded post-Dark Knight all through the 90s and the 2000s. It's just known, the distributors say, well, we base everything on the, the index number, kind of the base number of comics, the best base index is Batman. And we judge all our sales up against that. Well, the base index number for a creator and, and personal worth, and it's not me to tell you, but I know having been Robert's friend, uh, uh, the idea of, of, of how well he has done because I know all of the stuff that he has authored and you know that you have seen it. And, and, and what no other image owner has, image partner has, is you know, coming up on 20, 22 consecutive seasons. If there's 14 seasons of The Walking Dead and, I don't know, 8, 10 of Fear the Walking Dead, and then there was those kids that kind of, there was a two-part spinoff. I mean, we're looking at 24 seasons, 200-plus episodes, right? Uh, and, 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 and the revenue, the awareness, the licensing, the merchandising off that alone now think about how much that drives the publishing of all those Walking Deads. And I've been there. I've been at the Barnes & Noble when the, 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 the customer is shattered. When the uh, uh, clerk comes in and says, oh, I'm sorry, sir, we don't have the first three volumes. Oh, man, I, I need to start at the beginning. Um, and, the, and then says, well, we'll have more next week. We've ordered more. And I know how many times Image continues to go back to press. So what I'm telling you is the engine that is driving the most successful creator is out there for all of us to see. It's obvious. It's 200 plus episodes. Walking Dead at its peak was the number one show. It was getting 14, 15 million viewers. Uh, it was the Yellowstone of its day. It was the macho show. It definitely had a macho bend to it. It was a very visceral, violent, um, grim, you know, uh, uh, horror thriller. I mean, apocalyptic. I mean, it, it just, it, 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 it hit every box. It checked every box. It pushed all the buttons. And The Walking Dead video games, The Walking Dead, um, you know, board games, The Walking Dead merchandising, The Walking Dead. I mean, I've seen, you know, beer coolers, you know, uh, uh, with Walking Dead on them. I mean, the licensing is endless and has been for over a decade. And now you have Invincible on Amazon. And, and if you've been watching the NFL and you've been watching the playoffs, Amazon has bought some very expensive spots. And those spots begin with the with, with, with the Invincible, you know, animation, advertising Invincible. And you're like, that, 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 that's, that's my buddy Robert. That's, that's your favorite writer. That's, that's your favorite show. That's, that's Invincible. That's what we're all thinking during an NFL game. You know, they cue to the commercial and you're like, there's Mark. There, there's Nolan. There's Invincible. And it's all part of a Amazon ad, but they lead, they lead with, you know, with, with, uh, Invincible and Invincible is now on billboards. So 
It's very easy math. Um, I have not one single season of a show, okay? Uh, neither does, you know, in the last decade or almost 20 years, does, does, does Eric Larson or Jim Valentino or Todd or Mark, okay? Robert is the engine. So if you ever see that that an image partner is 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 you know it has been said that that he makes more or is worth more than Robert Kirkman just know immediately discredit that that is someone's really good either publicity machine or publicist goosing whatever website that is to give them a greater value that has that and that in and of itself does truly have value it's a bit of a scam but it's 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 dishonest if it is more than where people have Robert Kirkman. It's shattering. And you know what? I think Eric Larson tweeted out about two weeks ago. I want to, I want to say about either 14, 10 days ago. It's like, man, uh, when I see people who I know how much they're worth being so misrepresented online, and then I realize how mis, mis, misrepresented I am. This is Eric's tweet that he put out. And it's, it's that's not word for word, but it's in the zone. And again, it's it's just it's just kind of ludicrous. That's why I shudder to say that anyone uh, not outside of Robert Kirkman has a true empire. Um, you know, Skybound reminds me of what was going on at Extreme or Wildstorm, except they are much more efficiently run. And when I say reminds me, because it's a job creator, it's it's maybe a hundred between sixty and hundred employees. It's huge. You're, you're creating jobs. You're creating. You know, you're providing for families. It's fun. I was proud at Extreme Studios that I was able to provide so many jobs, that I was able to, you know, uh, g- give livelihoods to people. That's fun. If you can do it, um, it's really satisfying. And and, 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 and and it's fun, especially when you get to know, the, you know, all the people involved. But while there are no empires per se, there are certainly catalogs. And I hear it from you guys all the time. Why isn't there more image product? Why isn't there more image television, image more cin- cinematic universe? Well, I can walk you through the 90s and tell you all the deals that were and the deals that were not. And I'll just start with myself because those are the best, uh, you know, the best known versions. And of course, uh, the the there were attempts to buy Youngblood from me in 1992 immediately. I read in the obituaries the other day a gentleman named Mace Neufeld, N-E-U-F-E-L-D, Neufeld. And he passed away. And Mace Neufeld was the first meeting I took. In 1992, he called up uh, and wanted to meet with me about doing Youngblood. And uh, when I met with him, uh, his deal was at Paramount, and he was doing uh, Patriot Games. They had done Red for Hunt for Red October. Uh, the premiere for... Harrison Ford's, you know, new featured role as Jack Ryan started in Patriot Games. And they were having a Patriots Games premiere a few days after my meeting. And in, in order to kind of, sometimes they woo you. It's like they they invited me to the premiere. I was able to meet Harrison Ford, go see the movie. It was, wow, my first big kind of premiere. It was that summer. And he just said that, you know, isn't Youngblood like X-Men or isn't it like Batman? I want a property like that. These are the... These are the talk of the town. And I, I told him exactly how I saw a Youngblood movie, more like a James Cameron approach, very grounded. You know, these are these, these are almost like a super SWAT team. It's the gear. It's it's the it's the technology. It's the uh, unwanted fame 
that is shoved on some of these agents. But uh, they they really, I've, I've said this before, during that period, the only successful uh, superhero movies were the Batman movies. So they would compare you all through the 90s to either Tim Burton or, um, you know, Joel Schumacher uh, and, and their products. And if you didn't have something that fit that and you gave them even a little bit of brushback, it went sideways fast because they wanted to fit it into a mold that they saw was successful financially at the box office. And they didn't care about the artistry, especially if they've made 15 or more films like Mace Newfeld, he's like, trust me, kid. And I'm like, no, no, no. My movies are more like your spy movies. There's just a little more emphasis on action. But uh, ultimately, I didn't sell to him, even though I, he had me meet with the president of Paramount at the time, a man who has since passed named Brandon Tartikoff. I just didn't feel like uh, it would have ended well. And I did a lot more no saying no in uh, the early 90s than I did saying yes. Of course, I attempted to make my own uh, animated series. But I felt like when the old lady at CBS, and I've talked about this before, uh, wanted me to adhere to kind of the old traditions and I wanted to mix it up, have a live action Bad Rock hosting the show. Um, for those of you guys who are very, very young, in the late 70s, there was a Plastic Man. DC Comics had a Plastic Man Saturday morning cartoon. And even though the effects were cheesy, in the beginning of the cartoon, it was hosted by a real dude who they did some really lame kind of, uh, you know, computer graphics to show his neck stretching or his arm stretching to wave at you. And I had had a guy who had done stuff for Industrial Light and Magic, worked with Lucasfilm extensively, worked with Spielberg, did dinosaurs for Jurassic Park. He helped me build an animatronic Bad Rock. I wanted that animatronic Bad Rock to be the wraparound, the beginning and the end of each Youngblood show. But, uh... She wasn't having any of that because I saw what was happening with the Power Rangers and the kind of real life aspect. And I wanted to get the best of both worlds. My real life Bad Rock would introduce Youngblood each, you know, or or the two Youngblood segments we were going to do each episode. And then he would close out the show. And she just was like, no, you don't understand. I know Saturday morning television. I have all these Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse Emmys. And I'm like, yeah, that was really great until they caught Pee Wee, you know, jerking off. In, 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 a, in an X-rated theater and then Pee-wee's Playhouse went kaput. And, and and at that point, her run had ended. But don't compare my Youngblood, my, my superhero ca cartoon aspirations, and, and we all have an artistic vision with your Pee-wee, you know, she was third in the ratings. She was coming, coming in way behind Fox and uh, way beyond a ABC. And I, I just felt like, you know, I really wanted to not just try and duplicate what was going on with the X-Men cartoon, but do something more interested and more in innovative. Interesting and innovative. She was having none of it. I walked out. I ate the costs on all of the animation until Mark Silvestri and I teamed up briefly uh, about a year and a half later to try and get the show on Fox. And I think I've covered it here how Marvel Animation informed Fox and Mark and I were both contacted by our agents at San Diego in 95 that they were pulling out of the deal because Marvel had threatened to no longer give them any Marvel shows if they did a deal with us, thereby preventing us from competing on the same network and the same platform they did. I've always thought and respected that move, that deal. It was very bold and uh, and very, very, I just think, you know, very clever to, if you can, if they could have knocked us off comic book store shelves, you know, now we're talking a world without image. You know, if they could have knocked us off and never had us exist and never take up all that shelf space and never create the utter chaos 
from their perspective, it was chaos that we did. Um, they, they, they would have done it, gone into every store and said, oh, you know, whatever we need to do for you not to carry this. But at the network level, they had that pull. Everyone knows how difficult it is to deliver animated shows. And again, they were Fox had been number one now with a really strong Marvel partnership. It was supplanted by the Saban partnership because Power Rangers just blew up. You guys remember all of the Power Rangers and the Power Rangers spinoffs immediately in the mid-90s. But still, the the strong number twos were the Spider-Man cartoon. Uh, I think there was a, was there a Silver Surfer cartoon briefly. There was a Spider-Man cartoon. All of these different, uh, you know, animated projects Marvel was delivering and they were, you know, well-received, competent, and, 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 and professional. And again, they, were, they had become a very, what I'm trying to say, a reliable supplier. And you pick, again, we've talked about it, the bird in the hand versus two in the bush. So, so the Image Comics Power Hour, which was to feature Mark and myself, was swept away. So that kind of carries the cartoons. We know that Todd made his movie. And we know that that movie had a lot of promise. And it did okay. I guess it, it baseline was okay. And then that launched his HBO show, which I would be lying to you if I admitted to ever seeing one actual episode. I, I know, I think Chapel, I did, I did a swap with Todd. I, I saw this memo the other day in my in my files. Uh, he gave me Angela, which he no longer owns, which is hilarious, um, uh, to team up with Glory, one of my characters, in in exchange for me loaning him out uh, Chapel. And we kind of, that was a creative solution swap. And you read about like, Spielberg and Lucas were doing swaps. Like, I'll give you a percentage of this. You give me a percentage of this. Um, Todd and I just drew up a memo and he got access to Chapel. I believe Chapel appears in the Spawn cartoon. I haven't seen it ever, but I know that happened. I thought the same was going to happen with the Spawn movie, but by that time, Todd and I were on the outs. I would have still approved Chapel, just so you know. I would have absolutely approved Chapel to be in the 1997 movie, but I think um, Todd either no longer wanted Chapel represented because it had something to do with me or didn't trust that he could cut a deal with me. Either way, they they created the female character that serviced the Chapel purpose in the comic books before eventually, obviously, retconning Chapel out completely because he was um, a part of a, another, a, a catalog that Todd did not control. So getting the catalogs, I know that HBO, the HBO Spawn, the people who saw it, they, they dig it. They're passionate about it. Um, I, it. It did very well. It ran seemingly for a long time. And that was the kind of the, the Todd McFarlane contribution to the, uh, you know, filmed entertainment in the 90s. I, he, he certainly did more than anyone else, even though the Wildcats cartoon went on CBS and they were canceled in a matter of episodes. I remember we had an image meeting. And it was in Anaheim. It was in my Extreme Studios because we would change up. Sometimes we'd go to Arizona. Sometimes we'd go to San Diego. This time on the calendar, they were coming to me. Uh, Jim Lee and the guy who was running his company named John Nee uh, had kind of rushed in and they said, we need access to your fax machine. Fox is going to send us the ratings. If the ratings for this new episode aren't up, we're probably getting canceled. Well, it was already a foregone conclusion. And I had said this to Judy. Her name was Judy Price at CBS. I said... I'll be canceled on your network in four episodes if if we just do it the same old way. And she stopped herself between the door and my, my and me. And I've to, told this on another episode 
uh, of her observations about media and, 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 and movies and television. And she said, if you don't do this, I'm giving the pickup of this same order to your buddy, Jim, who they had already passed over. And I said, give it to him. You know, it'll be four five and out. But, uh, they compl- they, they aired whatever they made, but the decision not to go forward was given around the fourth or fifth episode because that day was very sad in our meeting. They got the ratings and they were bad. And it was like, so Wildcats is not going to be the savior for CBS. And in all, you know, in all honesty, Youngblood would not have been the savior for CBS. CBS was a platform kids had abandoned. They weren't watching it anymore. It was very hard for to draw them away from what they were consumed with, which was that epic Saturday morning Fox lineup. And for the longest time, the Fox lineup ran Monday through Saturday. They had afternoons locked up with kids. Fox Kids was everything. And so, um, you know, nothing was going to work in that slot, but Wildcats didn't. Savage Dragon, I don't know if we got one or two episodes. Does he have a dune buggy? Does he have a talking dog? Eric, I saw him tweet the other day, like, like if you want to, you know, see this train wreck, it's on the peacock. Or I, I think that's exactly what he what he said or alluded to that to that effect. <laughs> so so um you know, Mark and I never got any media made of our stuff, even though uh, Profit was optioned as a movie. There was a tremendous screenplay written that was, would, had it been filmed the way it had been written uh, by, by two great writers who, honestly, their names uh, escape me. They went on to do um, a bunch of other movies. They were very successful. This was a great screenplay, but Sony was so concerned with who could play John Profit. And in 1996-97, we are uh, right at the cusp of what I would call the skinny hero. The skinny hero being Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, Keanu Reeves in um, Matrix, uh, you know, uh, Brad Pitt. um, Just the skinny hero became a thing. And the over-muscular physiques of Stallone and Schwarzenegger and Van Damme were immediately kind of a thing in the past. But I mean, it was, it started in 96 with Tom Cruise and his sleek portrayal as a spy. And then obviously uh, the Matrix came out and blew everybody away and you got skinny little Keanu Reeves. And then in Mission Impossible 2, John Woo, Tom Cruise definitely wants to have some of those Matrix-like, you know, aesthetics, a lot more action, more slow-mo, every John Woo trick in the book, the dubs, the, 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 tr- the trench coat, the, 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 the two-fisted guns, all of it was represented. And of course, then that would go on to generate more Tom Cruise and, um, and, and even more, uh, you know, uh, uh, Matrix with Keanu. And then you'd get right in the early 2000s, you'd get the Fast and the Furious and Paul Walker and Vin Diesel. And I mean, there was no looking back. The the skinny hero, like your skinny latte, had taken over. And the overbuffed musculature, the hero that kind of defined the 80s into the mid-90s. I mean, last action hero, Terminator, Terminator 2, Predator, uh, uh, you know, um, True Lies, uh, Commando, you name it. You know, I'm forgetting a whole bunch of them. All the, 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 the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies from Kickboxer to Bloodsport, all that stuff, all that stuff, uh, you know, Stallone, all of the ripped muscles in all of those different um, 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 films. Really, it, it kind of starts with Rambo in 1985. Well, no, that yet yeah, Commando comes out fall of 85. So, I mean, so the big overly muscled, swole 
steroid guy was coming to an end. And uh, it, it's funny, I won't say who, but we had a, we had a, a director who we were talking to for profit. And he offered up a, a uh, my friends know this story because I tell the, all the details, but there was an actor that was on, that was on the rise in 95. So I'll, I'll make this a blind item. And, and, and the director, I'm not going to say who that is. And the, and, and, and the writer, I mean, I'm sorry. And the actor that he mentioned, he said, look, we've asked him if he'll, if he'll be profit. Um, but he doesn't want to get the liver patties, uh, installed in his chest. And I'm like, what? And he goes, Oh, you don't know. Yeah. This is the fastest way these guys get the super hard pecs. It's in, you're out one day. You know, it's, it's, it's guys, uh, you know, breast enlargement, breast enhancements. I said, what? He goes, yeah, liver patties. They just take slice of liver patty on each one, you know, throw it in there. Not actual meat, but they were calling the, um, the, the thin layer, the thin layer of, of a late latex liver patties. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, this, we're waiting to see if this actor will say Yes. And then he said, there's another actor on another movie. If I say this, it'll give it away. But they had that guy standing by to see if he'd say yes for another film. So because they said Schwarzenegger, Stallone are too old to play John Prophet. And I remember going to a meeting with uh, 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 all of the Sony people and, and, and all of the, the, the brain trust. And they were like, we love this script. We love the action. We love what it represents. We think it'd be great. We just don't have a star. Cause we think these guys are too old and who could it be? And I'm like, I was truly, I, I prided myself on this kind of thing. I prided myself on trying to, trying to, you know, solve problems, but I was up against it too. I mean, again, the most buff Brad Pitt ever got was I think in 2004, is it 2004's Troy in Troy? He's just fantastic. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just, uh, but but he wasn't there yet in in nineteen. I mean we're, we we got to go back almost eight years and 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 it's he's just not there yet. And so there was literally like a who are we gonna get? Who are we gonna get? And 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 that stalled out profit to the point where they just kind of uh, they paid a lot of money for that movie, but they sidelined it. In the meantime, New Line Cinema had optioned Evangeline, and they loved the three issue miniseries that we had done, and we had. Uh, they they got a uh, a man named Lem Dobbs who had written some kind of art house uh, affair. To Lem came in and met with me and pitched me this incredible, almost martial arts action take on Evangeline. And you'll see this is a through line that's that'll happen again. But uh, he delivered the most esoteric, wildly just again arty indie, very low on any action whatsoever. Uh, draft of Evangeline. During this time, I write a spec script called The Mark. And the only reason I'm bringing this up is it attracted the attention of Will Smith. I've done an entire podcast on this. It's the Hollywood, I think it's called The Pitch. I think the episode is called The Pitch. That's the Rob Observation episode. It's a season one episode. And it tells you how Will Smith and I went out over a two-day period and pitched every single Hollywood studio and all of the presidents and how we ultimately set up the movie and the, the screenplay with Will Attach sold for uh, $1.2 million. That 0.2 really matters because <laughs> I say it all the time, but it's it's in print. Uh, the sale was announced. It was great. The head of New Line, 
who had optioned Evangeline and had read the uh, the script that they that, that they just felt wasn't the best fit, hired me to do a rewrite on Evangeline, which I handed in. In uh, I was I was hired to do that in '98, and I handed that in in '99. And um, the guy who hired me and 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 got that was removed uh, as as the whole place got cleaned out. They did a giant, you know. Uh, overhaul of the studio and all of its executives and the guy who had hired me was gone and my script was kind of just diminished and forgotten and so Evangeline ended there Evangeline would get optioned again in 2016 by a producer who again called me and met with me and gave me the most charismatic pitch of all time saying that he wanted to make a female John Wick do you like John Wick I see this as a female it just sold me right there he was great wooed me um, took forever to find a screenwriter. The screenwriter that was selected um, took uh, an extra period of time beyond what the original option was. I was getting really iffy about this relationship. And long story short, I took a deal that um, took less, uh, that, that extended the deadline, but but then gave the control to me. And if I didn't like it, I got the rights back. So I do, I, I got the rights back. And so now with Evangeline, we are currently trying to uh, find the right talent and are talking to all manner of uh, directors and and actresses and I have the screenplay that I wrote uh, which I have rejiggered and uh, reconstructed uh, which we are going to use as the basis along with all the comic books so that is the kind of stuff where I'm still managing my catalogs closing in on profit as you guys know profit sold to studio eight in 2017 2018 <clears throat> It was very busy throughout the pandemic. Hired the wonderful writer who is Mark Guggenheim, who has done just so many amazing passes. You you may have read when they announced that Sam Hargrave, who is directing Extraction and Extraction 2, and did so much of the best stunt work uh, and, and camera um, second unit uh, stuff on, on Civil War, uh, Avengers movies, working with the Russos until he spun off and did the Extraction movies on his own, which were Netflix's biggest, the first one was Netflix's biggest movie before I think it got unseated by the new biggest movie. But Extraction 2, uh, they, they they load up footage all the time and uh, that that is going to be a giant uh, hit for Netflix as well. He is on board to direct Profit. He has guided and shaped the screenplay as it exists now. We attracted uh, the talent that is Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake has uh, weighed in. I have held a screenplay with all of his notes on it in the last couple weeks. It's moving in the right direction. Again, I am managing my catalog, my extreme catalog. The point of all of this, uh, I know that in the mid-2000s, among other things, following up, I think, the Yancey Butler era of Witchblade, which was in the early 2000s, if you guys remember, there was, an, in fact, a Witchblade TV show. I think it was syndicated. I I, I believe it did two seasons. I don't know if it went three. Um, it was, uh, it was a, you know, a crime detective show with some supernatural natural elements. I think it was, I, again, I've never seen an episode of Witchblade. I saw all the advertisements, um, all the print ads, all the visual ads. But in the mid-2000s, I want to say maybe 2015, 2016, uh, I read that the uh, that the underworld producer, director were interested in, in making a movie with darkness versus uh, the darkness versus Witchblade, kind of a uh, like King Kong versus Godzilla. I read it in the trades. I read it in Daily Variety. I've never spoken to Mark about it, but 
uh, I was excited. Bad elbow. I was excited to hear that he was um, putting that kind of supernatural uh, film franchise together. Uh, I'm not sure if it went further. Again, it had it had um, a bunch of talent that was associated with Underworld in in trying to make it happen. And you know, between Mark and Todd, they have really um, locked down kind of the supernatural realm of comic book stuff. I mean, now we have, I mean, Marvel's got the big dog in the race in Dr. Strange. Um, but again, both Mark and Todd have been managing their catalogs in trying to get them off the, the ground live action. Now at no point in the nineties did we, um, you know, uh, attempt to get a shared universe together and off, you know, um, up and running. And, and, and you see now how well the image, the, the Marvel, cinematic universe works and then you see how dysfunctional the dc cinematic universe does not work how dysfunctional it 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 does not perform and you see like the blueprint is there how the mcu has has formulated each appearance how nick fury collected the avengers i mean we all went on that ride it seems so long ago but it was very exciting the avengers will be 10 years ago this year a 10-year anniversary for that movie that really broke the mold and just kept pushed things to the next level, kept them running um, at an, an incredible pace and has turned in nothing but ridiculous success for Marvel. An image cinematic universe would be similarly fascinating and I'm just here to tell you it's never, really never going to happen. It's just getting the parts moving together are very, very difficult. Um, we all have our little getting back to what I said about a half hour ago, fiefdoms. Uh, the Spawn universe is now made up of multiple spawns and spawn identities. Mark has obviously Cyberforce and those uh, various characters, Ripclaw and uh, all the various spinoffs. And, and then he's got his supernatural realm. And, you know, it would, be, it would be awesome to see all of that come together either under him, under a top cow umbrella, or merged with another. I mean, can you imagine if there was, in fact... You know, uh, uh, another uh, uh, character uh, like like a Shadowhawk crossed over with uh, with a Brigade or a Bloodstrike film, both of which are actively out there um, being set up as well. I am extremely busy uh, managing my catalog. I mean, if you take a snapshot of where we're all at now, I am managing my characters uh, in seeking to try and make them. Well, I, I feel a lot of offers just like in 92, about people who want to try and develop this. And why wouldn't they? They look at the sales. They look at the market penetration. They see you guys chatter about all this stuff online. And it's the same with the other image guys. Um, one guy has asked and come together and wanted to know what it would take to get us all together. And of course, that's impossible given the fact that Wildstorm sold to DC 20 plus years ago and now they are all part of Warner Brothers. And you can tell Warner Brothers, as I've said here before, it's very common knowledge. And I've seen the executives, many who are past like DiDio or Jeff Johns have mentioned in the past, the priority for DC is the Batman and the Superman, the known quantities, Wonder Woman, the Justice League not uh, Wildcats and Stormwatch and jumpstarting those franchises. Those are way, 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 way low on the uh, priority scale. And and if they even became important tomorrow, they were not important for, for 20 years. They were at the bottom of... It's like my dentist. I don't know how many, how many of you guys... Uh, when I used to go to a dentist as a kid, it was very exciting. 
It was in, we went to a dentist in Orange. Kids dentist, it was great because he introduced to you very early on in your visits with him that there were, um, there was a kind of a treasure, uh, <clears throat> treasure drawers. And he had a dedicated uh, series of five drawers. And in each drawer, there were prizes. Some little kind of action figures, army men. In one, um, there was a drawer that had more female items, rings, jewelry, dolls. There was, the other drawer had like, you know, rubber band guns and uh, balloons and, and, and you know, paddle boards. I mean, it was, it was just all these different drawers. Of, so if you sat through your session and you were great, you know, I think even if you weren't great, he let you take a shot at pulling one thing out of the drawers and you could go through all of the drawers and pick out, but, and, and you could take all the time in, your, in, in the world that you wanted. Sometimes I took 15 minutes to decide what I'm taking out of that drawer. Um, the top drawer at Warner Brothers is, like I said, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Then you go down one level, and it's Green Lantern, it's Justice Society, you know. Then you go down another level, and let's call it the the Kirby stuff. It's Commandy, it's New Gods, it's that stuff. Um, at the bottom of the drawer is the Wildstorm stuff, the stuff that they don't, you know, that they bought in 2000 as part of a deal to facilitate getting Jim to come over and be their guy. And uh, so there's there's really very little opportunity that that will ever interact with any of our stuff ever again, even though we've talked about it and had discussions in regards to publishing uh, maybe <clears throat> 10 years ago. That That's just all fallen to the wayside. Uh, teaming up with Mark or Eric's characters. Again, Eric, live action. I've never read of a Savage Dragon film uh, that, that that got optioned. I, I, I would go see that. I think now is the best time ever. I think once um, Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy hit, both those Hellboy movies, um, which I personally loved a ton, but, but the town, the town that calls them IPs, they see the Hellboy films. Now three films that have wildly underperformed they believed uh universal made the first one didn't want to make the second one they got lionsgate to go forward on the second one or it was lionsgate on the first one or and then universal on the second that, that two separate studios made one and two don't quote me on the studios i just know they were different because the success in the first one uh wasn't enough to get that company to bite down again so move studios then it moves studios on the third and by this time, people are just thinking, well, it's been in theaters. People saw it. It's got an, it's, it's a known, wait for it, wait for it, IP. It's a known IP. So let's keep doing this. And now I read, maybe it's going to be a TV show. Maybe it's going to be, they're going to keep taking bites at that apple because they believe that the eyeballs can eventually add up and, 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 and matter and do something and more power to them. You know, Hellboy's cool. But if there's a Hellboy movie that, and there should be a dragon movie, it would look awesome, especially with today's special effects. Imagine like a John Cena or a, you know, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock as, as dragon. I can, I can do it immediately. It's great. I I, I see it. The green fin, the green skin, the hair. I mean, uh, kind of bigger biceps. I, I see it. I think, it, I think it'd happen. I think it would be extremely, um, you know, look very nonchalant, very irreverent. And, and I'm telling you, I can see dragon ending up being the runaway biggest hit of all. Uh, Youngblood Supreme, many of those titles I no longer have access to. I don't have, um, uh, so, so I kind of treat them like, you know, they're, 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 um, like in, 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 in truth, 
uh, I no longer have the publishing rights to those. So I just, I treat them in my mind as if they are estranged because, you know, it's, I just, it's like, okay, these kids, I don't get to see the kids anymore. I don't have access. I don't have custody. So they're kind of out of sight, out of mind. But Bloodstrike Brigade, Evangeline, Warchild, Glory, um, the aforementioned Prophet, which is powering forward. And I'm telling you, this Prophet screenplay is great. And uh, Sam Hargrave is great. And Jake Gyllenhaal is great. And the highest, I have, I, have, I am so hyped. But, you know, until you're on the screen, on the set and you're filming, it's not a thing. Okay? It's not a thing. So, so we've kind of dove through all of the... Uh, all of the possibilities. There was, in 1992, the movie that Jim was, there was no deal made. But Reggie Hudland, who had directed Boomerang, wanted to do a more kind of uh, Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. It was a great comedy, one of my favorite Eddie Murphy movies of all time. He was, Reggie Hudland was the gentleman's name, very big uh, producer-director, he had expressed interest specifically in making Death Blow. And he and Jim, because Jim would tell me about it. Um, did I have a meeting with Demi Moore in 1996, somewhere in between, um, was it called Striptease? I, I, and, the, and the G.I. Jane movie. Uh, I had a meeting with her about playing Evangeline. It didn't go beyond two meetings. And again, New Line ended up buying it without her. And, and we developed it. And, and I told you that story. But Death Blow was definitely a movie that Reggie Hudland was looking to do with Jim. I don't know about the particulars and why it didn't come together, but it was the kind of stuff that we would chatter about. Um, so we we all tried to get our stuff made. The town was very stingy. Uh, there is a reason that Stan Lee was in his 70s when he walked the carpet to see, late 70s, by the way, the first Sam Raimi big budget, awesome Spider-Man movie. And I remember telling Joy, I mean, it, I remember at the time saying, I may be 70 until I see any of my characters on screen. I was so thrilled that I didn't have to be 70. I was, <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I was 48 when, when Deadpool came out and I was 50 when Deadpool 2 came out. And, and uh, who knows how old I'm going to be if there's another Deadpool. But in the meantime, you know, we are working behind the scenes. I assume all of my former partners are doing the same. But again, it's like that is the history of our um, cinematic and television offerings. Now, obviously, I'm not counting Robert Kirkman, though he is a current partner, but he is by and away, far and away, the most successful uh, with Walking Dead and with Invincible and with everything else he's got coming. I have no doubt you're going to see firepower and all this other stuff um, lighten up the screen, big and small screen. Um, it doesn't matter anymore. The streaming stuff has become so you know, uh, desirable to everyone, obviously as a vehicle, whether it's the Lucasfilm properties IP or the Marvel catalog IP, again, said with tongue in cheek. Um, the interesting thing is <clears throat> as we move into this next realm and we consider the next movies, the, 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 what the couldas, I mean, so right before the pandemic or like, I think the week the pandemic hit two years ago, you did have Vin Diesel coming out in bloodshot which was cool, which is a great opportunity to continue to expand Valiant and Image. Um, Valiant actually connects to the world without image that I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But in the world of cinema, we've all given our best efforts. And I'm going to tell you that the town was very skeptical until Iron Man. They, they literally would write off the success of Spider-Man. Well, he's, he's, he's been a cartoon, you know, 
in every decade, the 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 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. He's always been a cartoon. Spider-Man, you know? Um, and uh, like I said, there was, maybe it was right at 1980 that Spider-Man and his, his amazing friends was out, but certainly in reruns through the 60s and 70s was the original Spider-Man cartoon. Spider-Man also in the 70s was on the uh, Electric Company, which was a kid's show, kind of an educational show, and they had like like live action bits with Spider-Man. He was a live action movie, <clears throat> uh, uh, TV movies, and um, starring Nicholas Hammond, who was a little kid in Sound of Music, and he's the director that's directing Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Nicholas Hammond was uh, Peter Parker slash Spider-Man in a number of CBS, uh, a series of movies that um, was were stripped out eventually as kind of uh, maybe 10, 12 episodes of a series uh, because each of the movies was two hours. Um, and again, there was a number of them. So so Spider-Man definitely did live on our TV screens on the 70s and then back in Spider-Man and the Amazing Friends in the 80s, then his Spider-Man uh, cartoon in the 90s. So they think of it as, well, Spider-Man's a known quantity. It, they almost think of him more as a as a cartoon than, than as a comic book because Hollywood just does not value and, and I think still struggles to value the comic books. Batman we've covered between Adam West and, you know, then the Tim Burton movie, which turned into the Schumacher movies, which, you know, turned into the uh, Christopher Nolan movies, etc. Um, that He's just seen as the biggest, most known of all of the IP between both companies. He's got such a huge recognition among everyone from all his years as also a cartoon in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. Uh, he's such a known quantity. But anything, the, the X-Men was considered a huge risk, huge monumental risk. I'm going to do an entire episode on the, you know, formation, construction, release, production of X-Men. But uh, they would always get you through the script stage. But then it was very hard to get a green light. And hats off to Todd with Spawn for getting it all the way to where we saw it in theaters and paid money for it. Now, as we know, in 2017, Todd boldly declared uh, that he would be directing from his own screenplay. And he had some big, uh, big time producers. Blumhouse was attached with him and he absolutely, you know, announced that he was going to be directing that and it was going to be happening in the next year and then the next year and then the next year and then the next year. And now we, we are here, I believe is it, um, this summer will be five years since the bold announcement that there was going to be a low budget spawn movie somewhere in the at first it was $2 million, then it went to 5 then it went to 10 15 uh, Jeremy Renner and Jamie Foxx have both been involved with it. We've all read about it. I don't know the status of it currently. I don't know that Todd will um, direct the movie. Uh, certainly, you know, Ridley Scott is directing his movie, directing movies in his 70s, so Todd can certainly direct a movie in his 60s. Um, but maybe there's a point in time where Todd steps back and says, you know what, I'm not going to carry this anymore. I'm going to hand this off to some hot young creatives. And do I believe that Spawn could make a billion dollars uh, and compete with a Marvel franchise? Sure, I do. In the, with with the right material, um, Spawn is a rabid fan base, as do all of the Image titles, especially those year ones. The year ones is really where my fascination is. You know, for me, year one Image Comics is Youngblood, four episodes, four issues, Brigade, four issues. Uh, in Youngblood, between Youngblood and Brigade, you you saw the first appearances of Bloodstrike. You saw the first appearance of Supreme. This is how loaded 1992 was for me. A um, couple issues of Supreme, 
four issues of Brigade, four issues of Youngblood, because Youngblood um, 1, 2, 3, and 0 did in fact come out. And 4 came out right in, in, the, in the early part, the first month of 1993. Um, Jim had his miniseries. Eric had his three. Uh, Valentino got his Shadowhawk in. Those first year images... Those are like the golden age to me. That's what defines. I know today people are like, what, what are you talking about? Image is saga and it's walking dead. And it's, uh, you know, not the same books, not the same characters, not the same commitment. Obviously, Spawn has roared back. Todd is doing the most innovative, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, 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 the most innovative incentives of anybody on the block. Uh, he's doing. He's figured out incentives that Marvel and DC have yet to offer themselves, and those launch books are great. And he's released, um, you know, wants to beat that drum and 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 uh, talk about um, how successful those books were without mentioning the incentive factor. But regardless, the result is what matters, and he's getting those results. It's hard to hold on to those across the entire spectrum, but you know, just like I'm re-releasing Profit, and it's getting huge buzz. Uh, people, these year one titles, year one characters have a absolute resonance with, uh, with the audience. And, and so if you're wondering what happened to the image cinematic universe and what's to come, I have no doubt that, um, again, Mark and Todd and Eric and Valentino to some extent are exploring it. I am, um, an extreme family of movies. Um, you know, uh, if profit actually goes in front of the camera and gets made, if, if the Evangeline project, the package that we're putting together right now goes forward, it'll trigger a lot more interest and, and one thing will follow the other and, and, and hopefully I am able to manage a uh, film library featuring these characters. That's the end game. You know, and again, I'm, I'm 20 years younger than when Stan was when he saw X-Men and Spider-Man on the big screen. And so that's kind of my barometer. As long as I need a walker to go down the you know, I, I don't mind if I need a walker to go down the red carpet. That's fine. Or maybe I'll see my other ger geriatric peer group a, a, as well. And remember, guys, <laughs> remember, I'm the young one. <laughs> as my hair turns gray, I'm the young one. You, you got your, uh, you know, your 60-somethings uh, in Todd and Mark and Valentino. At least that'll be the the tally by the end of the year. And and remember, again, I am the, uh, I, I'm the baby. So if I'm going to be in a in a walker, imagine what the other guys are. Um, so so here's the deal. That's a snapshot of the Image Cinematic Universe. And it's going to be interesting. Reading an interview with Timothy Chalamet, who I love. I think he's a fantastic actor. Um, my my daughter loves him. My son loves him. He's just a cool, cool actor. Got great charisma, great connection. Huge acting chops. Um he gave an interview when he was doing promoting Dune about how he wouldn't say the name, but there was an actor, a prominent actor that said, stay away from the superhero roles. Don't do those. So let's let's count out, you know, the guys, the big names who haven't been in the superhero roles. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's Tom Cruise. It's Matthew McConaughey. It's Brad Pitt. It's Timothy Chalamet. Okay, Pattinson, boom, is now Batman. But those five names, Cruise, Pitt, DiCaprio, McConaughey, Chalamet have not been superheroes. There's a lot. There's a wide range of, of of actors, of course, but those are the five biggest, most significant box office draws. Brad Pitt, DiCaprio, and Tom Cruise have opened big movies consistently on the basis of their name for the last two decades. McConaughey in the right vehicle, boom, gets it done. Chalamet is the hottest 
uh, actor working right now. Everybody wants him in their movie all the time. The other is obviously Pattinson, but now he's Batman. So those five names I just gave you, they have not yet committed. And I do wonder, I do wonder what comic book project under what circumstances would they cross over? Now, I am aware, as all of you are, of all of the um, somewhat, maybe they're doctored, maybe they're legit, pictures of Tom Cruise, who who was originally offered Iron Man, turned it down, went to Robert Downey Jr. instead. The what-if factor is supposedly going to be played out in Doctor Strange, Mouth of Madness, where Tom, you know, you may glimpse him as a what could have been as Iron Man. And if you do glimpse him, I assure you, I trust you, trust me on this, it will be quick. It will be enough to ooh and ah and get some good angles on him, but then it'll be as it'll be gone as fast as he's introduced. All of these um instances that people are talking about are gonna come and go very, very quickly. But there is a uh, an interesting part. I mean, Brad Pitt also, my agent, told me in two thousand Six after Troy, after he looked as super heroic as he ever has with those swole muscles, big brawny, you know, physical physique that he built out for Troy, the movie Troy. Um, the uh, I, I just I, I can I keep hearing Brian Cox, not from Succession but from Troy, saying Achilles, Achilles, be the death of me. But uh, didn't didn't practice that Brian Cox at all. So don't 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 uh. You know, don't hold me to it. But the bottom line is, uh, I do wonder if a Brad Brad Pitt, who my agent told me he's never going to do a superhero movie. He has no interest. He won't do it. And and you always wonder, is that just BS? Or is, are they sticking to their guns? But you go, 2004 became 2005, became 2010, became 2015, becomes 2022. And he still has it. You know, maybe it's not going to happen. McConaughey, I know, I think, I, I think he's danced. I think he could have been in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, maybe 3. Um, but the bottom line is, there's some big, significant box office openers who have never stepped foot into these comic book roles. And, and of course, Vin Diesel did it with a Valiant movie property after being a voice, you know, in Marvel stuff. But is it possible that maybe an Image comic or, uh, you know, uh, another indie studio is the one that's going to nab one of these giant names? Possible. And maybe it's going to be an image movie. Maybe it's not. Look, today, this opening segment that that really has framed the show and, and carried the, the the brunt of this 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 episode is, you know, whatever happened to the image cinematic universe? What 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 came of it? Um, there was one. I should tell you, there was a period of time that I went to meet Mark in '95 before Heroes Reborn and 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 talked to him about consolidating Top Cow and Extreme and uh, bringing all our talent under one roof. And um, the reason was I felt like we could get a giant film TV production deal that we would have more say-so in and or um, get giant deals from the toy companies. To be honest, the guy that Mark had running his company was smirking and smarmy and dismissive the entire time. And I knew as Matt Hawkins and I went and had this lunch with them in Santa Monica that they just weren't taking us seriously. And it wasn't something that I was doing out of a sense of need. It was, I just thought this would be an irresistible package that would provide us more control because, as you know, control is the hardest thing to come by. It is truly the hardest thing to come by, especially when you start You start out at the lower rung. Like I said, Mace Newfeld, who passed away, Patriot Games, Hunt for Red October, um, all the Jack Ryan movies. He wanted to make a just kind of a comic booky Tim Burton. He kept just thinking he saw Young Blood 
like Batman. And I just go, well, we, I can't meet you there. But it was like, he felt like he was the Uber producer. This is what he wanted. He felt like comic books was the way to go. I give him a hand, I, I hand it to him on that initiative. But ultimately it didn't happen because the sensibilities weren't there. Uh, so, so the image, comics, cinematic universe, those are the deals that shoulda, coulda, woulda, okay? Uh, I don't know of any giant name. Like I said, meeting with Demi Moore for Evangeline was a a probably the biggest name I had for a role. Prophet, you know, had there been the right actor, I think that would have gone differently. That script was great. The new Prophet is nothing like it except they adhere exactly to the comic book origins, but they go in radically, it goes in a radically different, you know, place. Um, it's it's rich, it's satisfying, I'm rooting for it. There, I've, I've said as much as I'm going to say about it today. A world without image comics deserves another slight indulgence, and I'll tell you, um, continuing on, with had we not gone the path that we had gone down, uh, again, uh, had, the, had the hockey cards happen, Todd's out of comics, period, end of story. He's in the sports world the way, the way he, the way, where he wanted to be at the time. Jim would have danced with Batman. In my opinion, Marvel would have moved as they, I stated now repeatedly, and kept him there with some executive position. I was exiting with my cable. I would have absolutely done the cable uh, two-part series that I described to you more in depth last time which was, I, I was hired to do it. But when I left to do Image and Youngblood, uh, that was no longer a possibility to me. They said that that was going to be withdrawn and restructured, and that's the John Romita Jr. miniseries that you got that I, I like quite a bit. I think it's great. I think it's fun. It follows a lot of my outline, except I, I, I would have gone further and in a different direction, and I think you would have really enjoyed it because I certainly did have the pulse where it came to those characters at that time, especially given that they don't exist. Without me, I created them. So, so I, I really felt like at that time, I was in the zone. So, um, I would have, as I said, I, I would have pursued Youngblood. I would have been on an island on my own, based on the X Force success. I think I would have just done those early numbers, which were in the five hundred range, because we all got together. The swell of the excitement pushed that stuff to the millions. Um, but I think I would have done the Youngblood stuff, and I would have done okay, and then I would have. Um, I would have examined all manner of stuff. The way that I do now, I go after bucket list products, pro- projects, G.I. Joe, you know, um, doing doing G.I. Joe, doing, uh, you know, a, a run on Captain America in, in the Heroes Reborn era as, as I did. I would have definitely uh, doing the shield, doing the Archie characters in the way that I did that I wish I would have done so much more with. But those are indulgences of, of the, uh, the bucket list, the toy that, that you know, the, the toy box, the sandbox stuff that you've always wanted to play with. I probably would have pivoted to more of that stuff. I'm not sure, you know, where I would have um, ended up either doing more DC work, coming back to Marvel, or maybe Youngblood would have continued to be that successful. But I, I feel like it would have had a rooftop on it. It wouldn't have been anywhere near the success that it was. But I would have done well and 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 used that period of doing well to figure out what I was going to do next. Because... Uh, controlling the next batch of characters. Again, Youngblood 1, 2, 3, 4. You don't just get Youngblood. In those books, Youngblood 2, you get Berserkers. You get Prophet. Jim Valentino introduces Shadowhawk for the first time. It's the first appearance. 
In Youngblood 3, I give you a pinup introducing you to Bloodstrike. Uh, there is a backup story with Supreme. Youngblood, floor, Youngblood 4 I is when I hired Dale Keown and he introduced the world to Pit. Tons of characters and first appearances are launched in that Youngblood book. It was designed as like my Fantastic Four where you would also meet the Inhumans and the Silver Surfer and Black Panther and... Uh, and, and, and that, that was really by design. I wanted it to be my, my Fantastic Four kind of vehicle that launched all these other different characters and worlds. So I would have done that. And based on the success and the interest in that, uh, just being, being able to control, I, I think that would have been fascinating. Eric Larson has told you he would have done Lobo and Nova and, 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 and indulged himself on those books. And I have no doubt he would have been great. <clears throat> but I thought about Valentino and I thought of where he would go. And I definitely think he would have done another year at the very least on Guardians of the Galaxy, tried to push it towards the 50th anniversary as close to it as possible. That, was, that kind of stuff really gets Jim going. He digs it. And he would have loved to have been on there for 50 issues. But I think in the meantime, and here's the interesting thing, if Image Comics never comes together, Mark Silvestri would have just stayed. He either would have done more Wolverine and um, just kind of been... He even said he was burned out. Image kind of reawakened him, reengaged him, inspired him. Um, kind of kind of tapped a vein in him, a pulse that he didn't have. And you can see it. His work grew leaps and bounds, and he he applied more modern day sensibilities to his incredible illustrative, you know, talents and skills and just became one of the most compelling artists ever, more so than than he already was, which is impressive on every level. He would have stayed in the parameters of safe. I just think he would have stayed safe. Uh, that's what Mark knew. That's what that's where Mark was most comfortable. But Valentino, I do believe, given that there's no image comics, the comic company that would have run away with it and had been possibly twice as big as they were because we were seen as kind of crashing their party. And the company that I'm talking about is Valiant. Valiant Comics had a strong first year before Image hit. And they had a giant crossover called Unity that um, they tricked out, they did special incentives, and it was selling out, and it was a hot book, and people got talking about it. That's with Image Comics. That's while Unity was happening while Image was launching. If there's no Image, that Valiant expansion with Shooter and Bob Layton, um, I think that's an even more successful model, but look at what happened with Valiant. Valiant was grabbing a lot of older guys, Guys who were um, Bronze Age names, but definitely older. Bob Hall, Don Perlin. Those are the guys that they had giving you um, dedicated books. They knew Don Hall could produce books. They knew he was not as exciting as kind of the new sexy artists of the time. That is straight from the mouth of Jim Shooter himself, who was humming Valiant, who told me at lunch in 1993, he said that exact he hit that on the nail exactly. Bob Hall, very dependable. Um, they had developed some of their own. David Lapham, very safe, very uh, very traditional uh, storytelling grids. I absolutely believe because Valentino had a love for all of that, what was called the gold key catalog of characters, Magnus, Dr. Solar, um, uh, uh, all, all of those early characters because Valiant was launched with the licensed characters before they pivoted towards Bloodshot and Exo Man of War. I mean, again, they they wooed 
somebody like a Joe Quesada to leave DC and his Batman projects that he was doing and come over and do, you know, Exo Manowar, later Ninjak. Um, they were definitely going to pick off some Marvel talent. I can't imagine myself or Jim or Mark or anybody doing anything for Valiant, but I can see Jim at a convention or somewhere hitting it up, striking up a conversation. And in my mind, other than attempting to do DC work, and I'm not sure how far uh, he was going to expand at Marvel. I definitely, having thought this through, First Valiant is a much bigger company, much more successful without Image. Also, there is no Bravura. Bravura! There's no Bravura. There's no Legend. All these imprints, because Image was so huge and so influential. And remember, we put in a whole bunch of new titles. I mean, shelves. I mean, between the, the, the again, my first year alone, so four Youngbloods, four Brigades, uh, uh, four Supremes, Image, you know, Zero, all of these books. So I, I'm giving you 12, 13 books year one. Todd's giving you six books year one. Jim three, Mark three, uh, uh, Eric three, Valentino three, minimum, you know. So we, we launched 20 new titles. I mean, that's a small, a very, very aggressive small imprint with some of the biggest names in the business, okay? And, and so, so we, we, we carved out this new shelf space and, and those books were swole with numbers. I mean, big, thick stacks that vanished, that disappeared, that were rung up at the register, okay? And without Image Comics, you don't get that reaction. You don't get the legend. You don't get the bravura. You don't get the, the, the Malibu, the dedicated line of Malibu comics. You definitely, you know, don't get, and this is coming with a big, the next, a tease of what's to come is the biggest reactions that Image Comics caused. Not a what if, what they did cause. And nothing is bigger, and I've done an entire podcast on it, but we'll talk about a different angle on it than Death of Superman. DC was forced because we jumped them. We became the number two comic company with only seven titles. And that leapt us to the fore, which made DC hit the panic button which turned out great for them because Death of Superman was the event they needed. They didn't even know how much they needed it until they did it and how much people would dig it. And boy, did that create like that bloodlust for them. Now we'll break Batman's back. We'll just engage in death and destruction of our iconic heroes. And it worked, but we forced their hand. But I think in a world without Image Comics, Valentino eventually is writing and or drawing a number of Valiant comics as well. And I think they do very well. Because again, grabbing other competitive people. Again, they got, you know, they got uh, Bob Hall, Don Perlin. They got Joe Quesada. They had Fresh Blood and Dave Lapham. They brought Barry Windsor Smith, who, I mean, really brought a sense of legitimacy and excitement to them with Archer and Armstrong and all the different covers. Do I think Jim Lee still does a cover for hardcore? Maybe a short story? Yes, I do. I, I, again, that all happened regardless. Uh, you know, they ruled out that they, they, on the heels of Magnus and Dr. Solar, they gave you Torok, which was the right comic at the right time. Absolutely. But they started building out their, you know, um, their new fresh, you know, the fresh titles uh, that, they, that they were introducing alongside the licensed titles. Valiant becomes a monster. <laughs> I'm not sure Jim Shooter ever gets forced out. I think the success is so overwhelming without image to blunt their growth because we absolutely stole some of their lunch money, some of their uh, 
uh, some of their you know market prowess. And again, in an, in a world without image, and Jim Lee is managing the X Men office. Uh, I told you how J. Scott Campbell was sending his samples into the X-Men office. He eventually got pivoted over to Jim Lee. But when I met him at Mile High Comics, he told me he was going to work with Art Bear, who had contacted him or they had met, and he was going to give him X-Men work. I think that was ready to happen. I think J. Scott Campbell is either the X-Men editor, uh, I mean the X-Men artist, or the, you know, uh, uh, one of them, X-Men Uncanny. I think Joe Mad still does Deadpool, but it is now then not, that Deadpool miniseries is not an entry into the Uncanny books because if Jim stays, then Will stays. And then if if J. Scott Campbell with his very Art Adams style at the time, the style that we all took such a liking to and made Gen 13 so exciting, I believe he has signed an X-Men book. And so between Wills and Jim and when I mean X-Men, I mean the flagship X-Men, either Uncanny or X-Men. And then, uh, you know, does that move Joe Maniera onto X-Factor? Um, maybe. Does, does does the Kubert brothers, does, does one of them take over Wolverine instead of uh, earlier than, than they did? Because I know Adam eventually made his way onto that book. But Andy is definitely not doing an X-Men book in this scenario where Jim stays. And uh, I, t- I told you, Greg Capullo absolutely still takes over X-Force because after Cable, I'm gone. I end with my big Cable, you know, miniseries launch. Uh, Valentino, I truly believe, does some stuff at Valiant. Um, and, and the rest of the plays uh, are very easy to play out. Dale Keown never leaves Hulk. I think he stays another couple of years with Peter David. And other kind of logical uh, dominoes that, that don't fall are again when you start like pivoting that the Andy and Adam Kubert don't have immediate access to the X-Men books in the way that they did. Neither does Brandon Peterson, who drew part of the um the Executioner song. Neither does Jay Lee, because I think I think those books are are put in different people's hands. But that is all speculative and part of what we love to do in a world without image comics. I hope uh, and we're gonna we're gonna keep this going. We're gonna keep revisiting it throughout the year, throughout this 30th anniversary of this very special time where Image Comics knocked everybody's socks off, uh, created mass chaos, uh, created um, again. Not only did we introduce better paper, computer graphics, which I covered in the first one. If there is no Image Comics, there is no long overhaul, um, industry wide overhaul of computer color. It stays in the domain of two houses. Again, it, you, you needed the kind of seed money that guys like Jim and I had that we put into creating our own coloring departments. I did mine with my wife's cousin, you know, who who, who uh, had the tech brain graduating college and jumped right in. I cover all this in the first installment of World Without Image Comics. But without image, Valiant thrives they expand they are much more aggressive they become i think a real threat to dc comics in the same way that we did possibly needing more issues than we did but uh i think they really give dc comics a run for their money but i don't i don't believe death death of superman happens because again most people especially at that period were playing it safe marvel had done uh again spider-man three million x-force five million x-men eight million never to do a million again that tells you they were excited about certain talent. And as much as they put acetate and glow in the dark and scratch and sniff and die cut and every other gimmick you could possibly imagine, they could not get back to a million, which showed that it was 
very um, creator developed creator that that synergy the same that we felt with Byrne and Miller my guys my peer group that the Jim and, and Todd we felt with Miller and Byrne and Simonson the fans felt with us but on a bigger scale so uh, the, the the paper uh, the increase in wages because we set off a financial arms war as well people were able to ask for a whole lot more upfront get a whole lot more money upfront rather than waiting the year that the royalties were to come that the page the page rates exploded they exploded so that Marvel and DC would stay much more comparison uh, uh, competitive because remember we got Larry Stroman we got Sam Keith we got Mike Grell I mean that the talent Dale Keown they were coming to us in droves, leaving behind other books so that new talent had to had had to come over, come on over. Liam Sharp probably does not jump on uh, Hulk when he does, which then bumps Gary Frank. I mean, everything moves in these scenarios. So many dominoes fall in the different way, and we're going to continue to examine that today. I wanted to walk you through the image cinematic universe that wasn't. We did that. We pivoted a little to again more specifics of where I think guys would have ended up had they not decided to do what we eventually did, which was to give each other uh, the benefit of the doubt, get together in this crazy coalition uh, that, that was where, where things weren't easy, they weren't agreed upon, they were agenda-filled with six different agendas, but we made it work and, and it exploded and it's a really proud moment of history and I love, I love sharing that time and reviewing uh, that time with you guys the way we did today and there is way more of that on its way in the weeks to come as you guys know at the end of every episode i read the reviews that you guys leave for us on all the uh, various platforms and and again we need your support um now more than ever uh everyone and their mother is obviously starting a podcast i i, I thought it was a crowded field when i got into it but again it just helps us so much stand out and to uh, to to to, uh, to to just help uh, promote the platform. So I appreciate each and every review that you guys give and and place, and I am so appreciative. And this review today, I, re- I read your reviews at the end of every show, is from KJ Freer, KJ F R E A R, KJ Freer. He writes, "Listen to Professor Liefeld. Thank you for your." five stars and this this funny uh title it says rob brought the excitement for comics in the 90s and he's done it again with this extreme podcast calling it a podcast isn't enough this is a college course on the history of comics comics is a part of our culture and the making of comics rolled into one show and it's free what an age we live in rob provides the kind of insight into comic book dumb that can only then only an industry veteran can a standout to me was a recent observation of the manga influence on his work and that of his peer group. It explains so much. Uh, it explains so much about the comics that I loved as a teenager. Thank you most of all on a personal level for uh, all of this, Rob. Also, keep the impressions coming whenever you can. They're hilarious and spot on, especially Todd McFarlane. Thank you, KJ Freer, for listening. Thanks for taking the time to write this review out. I appreciate it so much. Thank you guys when you leave these reviews and the stars and the recommendations and the word of mouth and uh, just spreading the word of the show. I appreciate it so much. As you know, I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. The full name, Rob Liefeld got squatted, but it's so long ago, I I, I don't even, I, I don't even, 
like think about it, except I just mentioned it. So I must, but at Robert Liefeld is the blue check. That's really me. Thanks for talking to me, hanging out with me, exchanging ideas. Um, and, and, uh, and just all of the back and forth that we do on Twitter, on Instagram, I'm at Rob Liefeld. Love reading your comments, your DMs. Um, thanks for all of the uh, positive, um, the likes and, and all of the ways that you guys uh, promote uh, over on Instagram. Thank you so much. I love talking with you guys on Facebook. I'm everywhere. I'm all over the place. Every possible comic book group I can possibly think of, plus all the sci-fi stuff too. Look for me over there. This show actually has a Observations with Rob Liefeld page over on Facebook. Check it out. Look it up. Make sure that you are able to um, hang out with us. And and again, we, we leave comments. Um, I read them over. I try and answer them as, pos- as often as possible. I am so grateful for all the support that you guys have given the show. This is the time of this show where you commit to taking care of yourself. I know you're gonna. You need to. You just If you got to slow it down, and, uh, and no, no, no better time than the early part of the, of, of the year. Just, just there's no need to get up and, and, and get going and get crazy. Just, just ease back into what we all are. Okay. We're there. We feel you. We're rooting yawn. So take care of yourself, stay safe. And we are going to talk again real soon. 